Greetings and welcome to Stars and Stuff, astronomy podcast brought to you by me, Richard J. Bartlett. In this episode, I'll talk about Messier 41, an easy-to-find star cluster you can observe with binoculars during the winter months. I'll also cover the news and the planets as usual, and then explore the deeper reasons why we stargaze. Pretty much ever since I started this podcast, I've been trying to figure out exactly what I want from it. More specifically, what I should talk about in this, the first segment. In the past, it's been kind of a general mishmash of stuff, and I've felt the need to make it better. I informally call this part of the podcast In Focus, and honestly, it's anything but. It's time I changed that. It's not meant to be a long segment, but I feel like I should probably talk about something, you know, spacey, astronomical, that sort of thing. I know the podcast is called Stars and Stuff, and I've been focusing on the stars part because I haven't really figured out the stuff part yet. So here's what I'm going to do. In this segment, I'll talk about something astronomical, but something I can cover in a few minutes. It might be something topical, or it might be something you can see in the night sky. I'll save the more in-depth stuff for later in the episode. With that in mind, I'd like to talk to you about the star cluster Messier 41, because, well, why not? You've got to start somewhere, and that's as good a place as any. Messier 41 is pretty easy to find, even if you know almost nothing about astronomy. Mostly. As long as you know where Sirius is, you're good. You don't know where Sirius is? Do you know Orion? If you live in the Northern Hemisphere, follow the three stars of Orion's belt down to Sirius. You can't miss it, it's the brightest star in the sky. If you need a little extra help, try looking toward the south at about 10pm. If you don't know where, know where south is, well, there's a number of ways to find it out, but unfortunately I don't have the time to tell you now. And you're smart. I'm sure you can figure it out. So you found Sirius. Do you have sharp eyesight and live far away from the lights of a town or city? If so, see if you can spot Messier 41 or M41 with just your eyes. It's about 4 degrees directly below Sirius. To put it into some context, that's about the width of 8 full moons. If you find Merzim, the brightish star just to the right of Sirius, and then look to the lower left and below Sirius, M41 forms one point of an almost equilateral triangle with the two stars. All this being said, it's much easier to find with binoculars. If you have a regular set of 10x50s, look towards Sirius and have to start almost at the very top of your field of view. Look down toward the bottom, at about the 7 o'clock position, and you should see a small fuzzy patch. It should even be visible from the suburbs. Through binoculars I can see a hole, for want of a better word, on the eastern side of the cluster that makes it look like a lobster with its claws outstretched. As with almost all deep sky objects, it looks better through a telescope, but you don't need some expensive bit of kit to enjoy it. Even a small telescope and a low powered eyepiece is enough to give a view worth shivering in the cold for. At a magnification of 35 times, it appears as a sparsely scattered cluster of predominantly white or blue-white stars of roughly the same brightness. There are also a few orange stars visible, and you'll also see one bright white star, 12 Canis Majoris, just off to the side. It's the view through a telescope that causes my imagination to run a little wild. Besides looking like a lobster, I've also described it as a man holding his hands up, or an angel, or a dove. Maybe it's a flying lobster that's died and gone to heaven, or maybe I just can't decide. Either way, go outside and have a look. I'd love to know what you see, so feel free to let me know by emailing me at astronomywriter at gmail.com. 
Scientists have discovered Earth's oldest asteroid strike occurred at Yarrabubba in outback Western Australia and coincided with the end of a global deep freeze known as the Snowball Earth. The research used isotopic analysis of minerals to calculate the precise age of the Yarrabubba crater for the first time, putting it at 2.229 billion years old, making it 200 million years older than the next oldest impact. New research suggests giant planets could form around small stars much faster than previously thought. Red dwarfs, the most common type of stars in the galaxy, are small stars, 10% to 50% the size of our sun. Despite their small mass, they are found to host giant planets up to 10 times bigger than Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system. The formation mechanism of these big planets remains an unsolved mystery. Giant planets around stars like our Sun are thought to have formed by the gradual buildup of dust particles to, to progressively bigger bodies. However, red dwarfs are tiny when compared to the Sun, and they do not seem to have enough material around them to form such large planets. The research team simulated the evolution of protoplanetary disks around red dwarf stars. Protoplanetary disks are rotating structures of dense gas and dust found around nearly all newborn stars. The researchers found that if these young disks are big enough they can fragment, forming gas giant planets in the process. This theory predicts that the formation of giant planets happens within a few thousand years, a timescale which is extremely fast in astrophysical terms. 2020 is the bicentenary of the foundation of the Royal Astronomical Society. In January 1820, 14 gentlemen sat down for dinner at the Freemasons Tavern, a pub in the west of London, to set up the Astronomical Society of London. Among their number were scientific luminaries Charles Babbage, who designed a mechanical computer or difference engine, Sir John Herschel, who discovered numerous objects in the southern skies, and Reverend Dr. William Pearson, who owned an observatory at his home in South Kilworth in Leicestershire. The Society received its Royal Charter in 1831 and since then has been the Royal Astronomical Society, with members in the UK and around the world. Massive gas giants called Hot Jupiters, planets that orbit too close to their stars to sustain life, are some of the strangest worlds found beyond our solar system. New observations show that the hottest of them all is stranger still prone to planet-wide meltdowns so severe that they tear apart the molecules that make up its atmosphere. Called Kelt-9b, the planet is an ultra-hot Jupiter, one of several varieties of exoplanets found in our galaxy. It weighs in at nearly three times the mass of our own Jupiter and orbits a star some 670 light-years away. With a surface temperature of 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit, or 4,300 degrees Celsius, hotter than some stars, this planet is the hottest found so far. Now, a team of astronomers using NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope has found evidence that the heat is too much even for molecules to remain intact. Molecules of hydrogen gas are luckily ripped apart on the day side of the planet, unable to reform until their disjointed atoms flow around to the planet's night side. Although still extremely hot, the night side's slight cooling is enough to allow hydrogen gas molecules to reform that is, until they flow back to the day side, where they're torn apart all over again. The analysis of magnetic field records show severe space superstorms occurred 42 years out of 150, and great superstorms occurred in 6 years out of 150. Superstorms can disrupt electronics, aviation and satellite systems, and communications. 
This means a great space weather superstorm large enough to cause significant disruption to our electronic and network systems occurred on average once every 25 years. A new type of aurora called the dunes, discovered by aurora chasers in Finland, is helping scientists better understand the mysterious layer of the Earth's atmosphere. The aurora, nighttime light displays in our atmosphere near the Earth's poles, take on various shapes and forms. They often appear as rippling curtains of green, red or purple light. But in October 2018, amateur photographers in Finland discovered a new form they dubbed the dunes. The dunes appear as thin ribbons of green light in the sky, extending toward the equator for hundreds of kilometers. Most light displays are oriented vertically, like curtains hanging down from the sky, but the dunes are arranged horizontally, like fingers reaching toward the horizon. Researchers and the general public are getting a glimpse of the most detailed view ever of the sun. The imagery, released January 29th, shows cell-like structures the size of Texas roiling on a sun surface and the tiny footprints of magnetism that reach into space. Lastly, after more than 16 years studying the universe in infrared light, revealing new wonders in our solar system, our galaxy and beyond, NASA's Spitzer Space Telescope's mission has finally come to an end. Mission engineers confirmed at 2.30pm Pacific Standard Time, that's 5.30pm Eastern Standard Time, or 10.30pm Greenwich Mean Time, Thursday, January 30th, the spacecraft was placed in safe mode, ceasing all scientific operations. After decommissioning was confirmed, Spitzer's project manager, Joseph Hunt, declared the mission had officially ended. Launched in 2003, Spitzer was one of NASA's four great observatories, along with the Hubble Space Telescope, the Chandra X-ray Observatory, and the Compton Gamma Ray Observatory. The Great Observatories program demonstrated the power of using different wavelengths of light to create a fuller picture of the universe. Four of the five naked eye planets are visible for the first 10 days of February. The odd one out is Saturn, which is still too close to the Sun, but may soon become visible in the pre-dawn twilight. Faint Neptune is also too close to the Sun to be observable, and won't emerge into the morning sky until April. If you've never seen Mercury, now's a good time. It reaches greatest eastern elongation on the 10th and is therefore at its best visibility in the evening sky. It's a decent 17 degrees away from the sun at that time, but is only visible for about an hour after sunset. Unfortunately, there are no other bright planets nearby, and the moon is too far to the east, but if you want to try your luck, take a look toward the west at about 15 or 20 minutes after sunset. If you're lucky, you might be able to spot a pinkish white star about 8 or 9 degrees above the horizon. For context, your fist, held at arm's length, is about 10 degrees. You'll need no help finding Venus. Even my 4 year old can find it without any help from me. It continues to shine brilliantly for about 3 hours after sunset in the southwest. Named for the Roman goddess of love, it's conveniently placed for St. Valentine's Day, and I'll be talking about it more in the next episode. Uranus is still lingering in the evening twilight, but your observational opportunities are diminishing. It sets a little before midnight, and you've realistically got about 4 hours to observe it. The sky won't be fully dark until about 90 minutes after twilight, and you'll want to take a look before the planet sinks too low. That leaves Mars and Jupiter. The red planet will be putting on a spectacular show later this year, but for now, it's still a dim speck of coppery light over the southeastern horizon in the pre-dawn sky. It's approaching the stars of Sagittarius, the teapot-shaped summer constellation. You'll find Mars a little way above the spout of the teapot. At the other end of the constellation is Jupiter. 
It rises a couple of hours before the sun and should be easy to spot in the southeast before sunrise. The moon starts the month as the first quarter, passes Aldebaran on the 4th and then turns full on the 9th. It won't appear close to any planets until it catches up with Mars on the 18th. Why look to the stars? Why stand outside in the dark for hours, staring through binoculars, a telescope or even just staring up into space? Why brave the frigid cold of winter or risk the mosquito bites of summer? Why? These are questions I often ask myself, and despite being into astronomy since I was six, I still don't know the answer. The truth is, there are a number of reasons, but perhaps one holds sway over all the others. It's not the science. If it was, I'd have gone to college and university and studied long and hard for a doctorate and then spent the rest of my life paying off the student loan. I'm not interested in the theoretical, and while I find it semi-interesting to read and learn about the latest news and knowledge, I can't say that's a huge draw either. I don't need to know how the universe works to appreciate it, any more than I need to know how my car works to enjoy a road trip. Although, to be fair, when driving in Los Angeles, the words enjoy and road trip rarely go together. So it's an aesthetic thing then. I like what I can see. There's a certain amount of beauty to be admired here, the rings of Saturn, the stunning colours of double stars. But the truth is that you've been lied to. All these wonderful pictures you see online and in magazines are heavily processed and nothing like what you can see with your own eyes. But don't get me wrong, there's still a lot of things that can make you go hmm, at the very least, but there's more to it than that. There's a sense of awe and wonder in the knowledge that you're looking at something that might not even be there anymore. Many of the things we see are hundreds, thousands or even millions of light years away, and it's taken like that long to reach us. So we're looking at something as it used to be, not as it is right now. It's strange to think that you are not seeing something as it is, but rather as it was. This is true of everything, including the moon and planets. You're looking at the moon as it was a few seconds ago, while Jupiter appears to us as it was an hour in the past. The further out you go, the longer it takes light to reach us. That's interesting, but it's not as though I think about it every time I look through the eyepiece. Going back to aesthetics, I tend to admire what I see. Star clusters often look like diamonds, and double stars can be colourful. Double stars themselves can hold another fascination. In a lot of cases, you're looking at a true multiple star system in space. These distant suns are truly orbiting one another, and often taking thousands of years to do so. There's a nerdy part of me that likes to think of the planet Tatooine in Star Wars, and I wonder what it must be like to watch two suns set. I wonder too what it must be like to have a sky full of moons, or to be on a world closer to the centre of the galaxy, with the glowing arc of billions of stars stretching overhead. I sometimes think our skies are dull by comparison. There's a part of me that yearns to be somewhere else, but even as I say these words, I know that's not true in a literal sense. I don't mean to say that I want to be away from my friends and family, far from it. I guess it's more accurate to say that I'd like to journey out into the cosmos, but still be here on Earth. I can't remember where I read it, but I once read about living a life with one foot on Earth and one foot in Heaven. I also think of a medieval image of a man on his hands and knees, pushing his head through a transparent dome of stars and staring in wonder at the heavens that lay beyond. That's what my kind of astronomy is. I'm not a social creature. To be honest, I don't like interacting with a lot of people, and while I couldn't ever live completely alone, astronomy allows me those precious moments of solitude. It's just me, the stars, and the universe beyond. 
Astronomy allows me to hide from the world and seek the cosmos beyond. When non-astronomers look up at the stars, they see lights in the sky, but few have any idea what they're witnessing. When I look up at the sky, I see the universe. Literally, it's right there. I feel like I can reach out and touch it. When I look through the eyepiece of a telescope, I'm not simply staring at a magnified area of the sky, I'm pushing my head through the dome of the stars and connecting with what lies beyond. I don't know how else to describe it. Beyond the stars there's an infinite universe, far more wonderful and beautiful than I could ever hope to experience. But in the brief, fleeting moments when I'm looking through the telescope or simply staring at the stars, I am there. I am hidden within the infinite, but also found. Suddenly the universe is everything, and I am nothing, and yet I am part of what I see and therefore I am everything too. A tiny drop, hidden within and one with the infinite ocean of space. Nothing and everything. Here's this episode's trivia question. You can get over 700 like it from my book, The Daily Astronomical and Space Quiz Book, which is available on Amazon in both paperback and Kindle format. So here it is. What did the Italian astronomer Galileo Galilei discover on February 4th, 1613? Was it A, the four largest moons of Jupiter, B, three of the trapezium stars in the Orion Nebula, C, the double cluster in the constellation of Perseus, or D, the Messier 35 star cluster in the constellation of Gemini? As always, I'll give you the answer in a few moments. So the answer to the trivia question is B, three of the trapezium stars in the Orion Nebula. You can see these stars for yourself by turning a small telescope toward the nebula on any clear winter's night. That's it for another episode. As always, if you liked it, please subscribe and tell your friends. You can find Stars and Stuff on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple and Google, among others, or by going to tinyurl.com forward slash SNS pod. If you're interested in my books, you can find them at tinyurl.com forward slash RJB Amazon US in the United States and tinyurl.com forward slash RJB Amazon UK in the United Kingdom. You're also welcome to email me at astronomywriter at gmail.com with any comments or questions you might have. And don't forget to come join the Stars and Stuff Facebook group at tinyurl.com forward slash SNS Facebook group. Thanks for listening, and until we talk again, clear skies to you.